Hey everyone, you're in good traffic. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of the show today. I'm Brad Beal, and this is the show where we have an optimistic and ongoing conversation about urban design, urbanism, urban planning right here in the US, where our cities have been and where they're headed. I'm joined today by the president of Downtown Indie Inc. in Indianapolis, Indiana, Taylor Schaefer. Taylor, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. So just a little background here as to why we're talking about Indianapolis and downtown Indianapolis specifically. I recently was scrolling through my Instagram feed, which is very heavily leaning towards the kind of urbanism, urban planning, uh, density conversations at large, placemaking, all these sorts of buzzwords and topics that um, exist in this sphere. And I think I saw a video and I think Max also sent me some, one of, one of your employees, your, your comms person who I, I go way, way, way back with, um, had sent me a video of an activation that you all had been a part of in a collaboration, um, collaborative effort in downtown Indy recently. Um, if anyone's ever seen Indianapolis, a picture of the skyline, a picture of the city, you've probably seen Monument Circle. Is that a fair assessment that it's, it's one of the more iconic uh, sites in, in the city? Um, and I saw this video that was mostly drone footage, just looking at a lot of the space that's in and around that circle that had been closed off to cars and opened up to people and, you know, was activated for kind of a festival and placemaking exercise. Um, so I'd love to kind of start there looking at the reason why I, I like to talk about places like Indianapolis. Um, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I'm a big um, proponent and believer of, of Midwest and Rust Belt cities. Because I think they're, one, very underrated. They have great bones. And I also think they still have an affordability factor um, that allows folks to move there and live a car-free, car-light, walkable lifestyle in a way that they might not be able to you know, fit the bill for elsewhere. So this is going to be the first episode as part of our new series called Walkable Pockets, where we're talking about some of these underrated places that are both walkable little pockets of cities that maybe have a more car-centric reputation, but there's still ways to live a more walkable and, and kind of uh, decoupled lifestyle from car dependency, um, but then also in the sense that it's friendly on our pockets and, and more affordable than some of the usual suspects that we talk about. So with that in mind, I'd love to jump into that monument circle um, exercise that you all went through and kind of where that is in your overall process of reorienting some of downtown space back around people. Is that kind of an early on effort, a pilot type of deal, or was that a, a part of a larger effort that you all are already in, in the midst of in Indianapolis? I would say that placemaking and programming is a part of our organization's DNA, and I think is really a part of downtown's DNA. Um, I like to say that Indianapolis hosts events uh, better than, I would say, nearly any other city in the country. But what we also know is that there is a growing residential population here in the downtown area. And on any given day, you have a mix of visitors, sometimes first-time visitors, of central Indiana residents who are coming to work, uh, returning to work in maybe different patterns than they had been previously. And you have more than 29,000 residents calling the downtown area home. And so I think that has really caused our placemaking, our events, our programming um, priorities to change. And I think some of that is also driven in part by the pandemic. We've tracked really closely what foot traffic numbers look like. And we know that one of the things that's really critical to 
having a vibrant downtown is having it feel like it's filled with people, having it feel like it has that energy, that community, that connectivity, that sort of element of surprise uh, that that comes with uh, an urban center. And so that has really shifted how we've thought about uh, events, how we thought about placemaking. The two examples from the last year that really stand out to me are the one you just talked about. Monument Circle has lived a whole lot of different lives. Uh, once upon a time, it was intended for the governor's mansion to be in the middle of it. And the, mm. the story, whether this is true or not, is that the governor's <laughs> wife said she wasn't hanging her dirty laundry. Uh, they are in the middle of the city center. Uh, so they ended up moving the governor's mansion elsewhere. But it Indianapolis is a planned city, and that was really intended to be the heart of our capital, the heart of our downtown, um, and the heart of the community. And I think in so many ways, Monument Circle serves as that, which was why having the opportunity to come together with a variety of partners uh, to really activate that space, to shut down a quadrant of the circle um, to vehicular traffic, but also uh, to, to other modes of transportation that while uh, I think offer a variety of, uh, of opportunities to connect, oftentimes can feel fast and loud uh, and not necessarily give people the feeling of, my kid can go wander over there. Uh, we talk about scooters. We talk about uh, motorcycles. We talk about all of those uh, types of uh, types of transportation that we sometimes see in downtown. It really just gave us the opportunity to slow down, to take over this area that for so many is an area where they're moving through fast and invite them to spend some time, to invite them mm -hmm. to experience Monument Circle in maybe a way that they hadn't before. Uh, not tied to a singular event, not tied to sort of a short-term run, but really from July through November, uh, with the changing of the seasons, with um, the, the continued resurgence of downtown, with the cross-section of events and conventions that we held during that period of time. Uh, and on any given day, you could sit out there on a picnic bench and hear that conversation of people experiencing downtown Indianapolis for the first time and people experiencing downtown Indianapolis in an entirely new way that had called the community home for years. Mm. And I think that that is what made Spark so great is that we had we had regular programming with uh, arts and cultural partner Big Car. Uh, we had also quite a bit of passive programming. They had installations out there. They had activities out there. There was a ping pong table, um, checkers, chess, uh, board games uh, donated by a downtown um, games game shop. You had all of those components at once so that you didn't have to feel like, oh, I need to be there at a certain hmm. time because that's when the performance is. You knew that the space was going to be activated seven days a week. Uh, we also had a food and beverage truck out there so that uh, as kids were playing with these giant oversized foam blocks, uh, mom and dad could have refreshments out there. Um, groups that wanted to, that were working in the office, but wanted to get out of the office and enjoy a beautiful day, uh, could do that over, uh, over beer and wine uh, or other refreshments. And really, like I said, take in the city, fall in love with the city again, um, in a way that maybe they hadn't in a while. Uh, and we were really excited to be able to do that. Yeah, that's an incredible story. I, I, I 
one thing that I admire about this specific project so much was the fact that, well, A, it lasted over a very prolonged period of time, but also the fact that it was every day of the week, not just weekends or Mm -hmm. not just during lunch hour during the week, which I think is a signal that it's something I think that in, and I've worked in placemaking a bit in the past. And one thing that I think a lot of criticism comes from is that it's a very um, temporary thing that's only works at certain times of the day and that activated space, you know, doesn't create the sorts of economic activity that folks like myself claim it does. Um, And you all kind of prove that that's not the case. And I think that's a really, really, really neat thing. And you also just kind of bring up the idea in general of like shared space, right? Which is this blacktop, this street, this piece of, you know, whatever it may be, just land that exists in this really convenient location meant different things to different populations at different times of the day. But you all curated it in a way that allowed all of those groups to use it in their specific way. When you were planning for that, was there any like when when did you realize you had the ability to kind of create that situation? Was it just knowing, you know, your your uh, audience downtown, essentially, in terms of who exists in that space and having a good you know finger on the pulse in terms of what's going on down there and how people move about and, and use different areas? Or was that kind of a, a risk that you all took just to see, like, hey, are people going to use this seven days a week? And is that actually going to play out? So the previous year had really served as a pilot for this. Um, Downtown Indy in partnership with Big Car in partnership with the city of Indianapolis uh, and the Capital Improvement Board really came together to try this out. It was a much more limited footprint with much, much uh, more limited programming. And I think there was an alignment in feeling like more could be done, that the pilot was okay, but that we were never really going to be able to see impactful results unless we took that one step further. Um, Monument Circle is a a brick roundabout. Uh, So all of that surface is fully bricked. But we didn't just put picnic benches and chairs down uh, on that. We had AstroTurf. Uh, We had trees, we had planters. Uh, We really wanted to give it the feel of that you were being transported to a different type of place, that this Mm -hmm. wasn't just chairs set up on a sidewalk or chairs set up in a patio area, that you were going to have an experience when you walked into that area. Between July 8th and November 4th, uh, we had more than 54,000 visits to the area. Uh, Visitors spend an average of 63 minutes in the space. They weren't just wandering through. They were Mm. taking the time to enjoy themselves out there. We had construction workers. We have a a robust pipeline of development projects happening in the downtown. You had construction workers that were sitting out there eating on their lunch hour, and you had people in suit and ties uh, enjoying the the same space. And I think that that speaks to the power of downtowns, that – uh, at its best, a downtown should be for everyone. Uh, and this gave us the opportunity to really be able to program for that and to do that. Most definitely. I think that is something that is really an impetus and a catalyst for some of these conversations up front, right? It's like a large part of our modern day American lifestyle is that we don't see each other in a very physical sense. We're not ever really encouraged to be in uh, spaces with, I mean, the decline of the third space is obviously the more, you know, hot button way to talk about it, but just the very simple stripped down way of just like, we don't, 
we don't often get the opportunity to spend significant time around folks that aren't in our industry or our family. And so it's, it's a really interesting situation that to your point is like, it's almost pretty simple to, in terms of what you're creating, but you're doing it in a very intentional way. So I think that's an incredible thing um, that you all saw great success with. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that that went that way. In terms of the data collection, some of the, you know, the quantitative stuff you just mentioned, but also some of the qualitative side of it too, how did you all go about making sure that not only did the event get set up and work the way that it did, not only did the activation produce the results that you thought it would, but that you were able to collect the sorts of data that you could then use to storytell and to to translate to other folks to maybe convince them of it working, convince them of, you know, the the like the necessary nature of having more activations like this, but also just to, you know, uh, inspire other folks in Indianapolis and maybe elsewhere. I don't know how wide your, your reach is in terms of what you're trying to do with a, a model like that, but how are you, how did you go about that data collection process and that whole idea of how to, um, get some of these things into real tangible pieces that you could distribute in a way that would actually convince people and move the needle? Well, let me let me offer one additional caveat that I probably should have said earlier. I, I think the programming, I think the passive activation, uh, I think the the transformation of physical space, all of that was incredibly important. But I also think that what we can't um, overlook is the importance of active management throughout the process. We had clean teams that were uh, specifically designated that were specifically assigned to the monument circle area that were spending time picking up trash uh sweeping up litter uh wiping down tables making the area feel cared for uh we we know that and when you look at across the country we know that public spaces that work best are ones that feel cared for are ones that feel welcoming not just because of of the program and the intentionality around it but also that it feels like a space you want to be in. Um, we thought really, we thought really intentionally about how we leverage our public safety partners, uh, the IMPD, uh, our safety ambassadors, uh, our off-duty foot and bike patrols, to really think about all of the the components of ensuring the area um, felt safe and and welcoming, and. I think all of those things can't be underestimated in terms of what it takes to have a, a, a public space that is that is effective and engaging. Additionally, we had two public bathrooms on site that were also being regularly cleaned and maintained and cared for. Uh, we had, in addition to the food and beverage stand, um, we had a, a water station and just some other kind of uh, basic uh, amenities. I think all of those things are really critical to uh, having a space that has some um, longevity to it and not just uh, feel set up for a moment and, and ultimately temporary. We utilize a, a technology solution, not to get back to your previous question, we use a technology solution called Placer AI. Mm, uh, it yep. utilizes cell phone data to be able to track uh, both both the uh, pattern of people's behavior when they're in the space and then how they're interacting with sort of the surrounding area after leaving the space. Uh, and that is largely what we utilize. We also track really closely the food and beverage outcomes. It was a partnership mm. with our capital improvement board and uh, their food vendor 
and what, spent a lot of time thinking about how do you have like a national corporate vending entity come into a space and feel authentic uh, yeah. to be able to provide the consistency that they provide, to be able to minimize some of the overhead and staffing challenges that would have come with us trying to run it ourselves, but also to feel authentic to the space. So prioritizing local vendors, uh, prioritizing partnerships uh, with local businesses, those type of local breweries, uh, local distilleries, those type of things. And that data was really useful as well, both in terms of uh, looking at it to see how people were utilizing the space when they were more likely to bring in their own food, when they were more likely to start having a, an adult beverage in the day, uh, to start needing um, kids-based options. Uh, those type of things, I think, also really contributed to how we think about user behavior in the space um, and, and being able to encourage them also to connect with other businesses in the footprint, right? It's I think it's important for them to know that there are amenities within the space. It makes mm -hmm. it easier. That barrier to entry is easier. It both gives people a reason to spend more time, but also if I'm a parent of a small child, it sort of makes it easier to be able to know that at a baseline, I have that, I have that sure. dynamic available to me. Um, but we also, I mean, part of the idea of this, and I started this at the beginning, was not just about the coolness of the space, but was about in a post-pandemic world, how are we consistently driving foot traffic? How are we consistently creating a, a, a dynamic and a, a feel of vibrancy, of safety, of uh, engagement that I think for many, it felt like downtown was missing with fewer employees coming into the workspace and fewer events throughout the height of the pandemic uh, happening in downtown. Uh, space isn't fun if it feels like a ghost town. To go back to a previous question you asked um, about how this sort of ties into our organization, we're really the keeper of two big iconic events uh, for downtown Indianapolis, Indy Fourth Fest and Circle of Lights. And I think Fourth Fest this year is another really great example of that, where that, that is a one-time event. That's not an ongoing activation. But unlike in previous years, we spent quite a bit of time and energy and resources uh, around a street festival vibe um, of bringing in bands, of bringing in entertainment, of uh, creating a designated area for people to come to that served as really the best seat in the house to watch the fireworks but that also encourage them not to watch it from neighborhoods a half a mile or a mile out, but instead to be spending their time in downtown, knowing that all of the things I've previously mentioned are direct benefits from that. There's economic benefits, there's uh, safety benefits, there's vibrancy benefits. And so we've, we've really kind of taken that philosophy and attempted to expand it across so much of the programming that we do. Uh, both in terms of more longer term activations and one time events is how can we how can we move the needle for those outcomes? Um, how can we move the needle for uh, how downtown businesses, how downtown residents, uh, how downtown visitors are experiencing Indianapolis? Um, and, and we want to be able to really maintain that tie uh, through all of the work that we do. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and I've been doing a lot of work and talking recently about those festivals as kind of these proxies or uh, kind of microcosmic examples or they they basically are these Trojan horses for a lot of these ideas, right? Of, hey, come celebrate this holiday in this space and um, enjoy the, you know, the food and the community and all this stuff. And then you're getting this dose of like walkability and of urbanism through just being there and most people aren't thinking of it that way but they're going this is nice i'm willing to pay money to come and spend time in this place i'm willing oftentimes to sit in traffic and deal with the you know the other pole of the issue to get to this place just because i love this walkable environment so much so i've been trying to do a lot to be like hey realize what that is realize what that moment actually is it's this community oriented space that you have actually taken time and money out of your life to go and simply just exist in. And so I, I love that you all kind of are, are doing a lot with those festivals and, and kind of orienting them in a way that is similar to how I think I and others in the, the urbanism space are trying to push this. This is kind of a great way to start looking at this from an American lens of a lot of folks haven't been to you know the Netherlands or they can't necessarily put their finger on what that looks like in that kind of model of urbanism. <laughs> But they've been to a holiday festival. They've been to a Fourth of July festival, a Christmas festival, whatever it may be. So it's a lot more digestible. So I love that that seems like kind of the approach that you all are taking. Um, and that's a really cool thing. And and I asked about the uh, kind of quantifiable data earlier because I think that is a piece that's missing in that equation sometimes too. And I love that you all have a, a great way that you're collecting um, the foot traffic data. And, and I, I love that you shared that because I think a lot of community groups and uh, community members that I talk to even are like, hey, I'd love to try a really grassroots effort in my in my community spaces. But if I'm going to go through the trouble of leading all this, I want to be able to take something away that I can then take to folks and share as a piece of like, this is why, you know, we could use some funding next time or some help from the top down to help make this happen. Sure. So I love that you, you had that, um, you Great. had that experience and, and were able to share kind of how you, you all did that on the same kind of note on the more qualifiable side of or um, qualitative rather side of the data collection. Did you all have any, uh, anecdotes or examples of city leaders or folks from more of that top-down level that came out to the space and they themselves kind of realized just through being there like, oh, this has a lot of value. And maybe, you know, there's a conversation to be had about how to do more of this. Did you have any of those uh, instances where folks like that kind of once they got on site went, wow, this is better than I thought type of deal? So, yes, I mean, I would tell you that we did in partnership with Big Car have a survey that ran through probably the last maybe 45 to 60 days of the activation with QR codes, uh, people out there with tablets uh, working to be able to collect some of that more anecdotal information. We also spent some time going business to business, really within that four block quadrant that surrounds Monument Circle to talk about did they see increased foot traffic? Did they see increased sales? How did it impact uh, their customer base? Just to be able to better understand uh, all of those impacts in, I think, a really um, anecdotal, but a, but a way that is meaningful when you think about both planning for the future and painting this picture. In addition, uh, I mean, I have to give a lot of credit. This would never have worked without the collaboration of uh, the city and in many ways the state. Uh, the the Soldiers and Sailors Monument itself is managed by the Indiana War Memorials Commission. That's a division gotcha. within the Department of Administration uh, of the state. Uh, while it didn't actually take place on their property, it certainly impacted their property. 
Uh, it, it required collaboration with a variety of the businesses around it. There's also about half a block off the circle, a brand new uh, hotel development that's in the process. And we coordinated closely with their construction team. There was a crane that was loaded in and out uh, in the midst of our activation. And we worked really closely with them. And then from a funding perspective, truly the Capital Improvement Board who runs our convention center, who runs our um, major sporting venues downtown, uh, also oversees the uh, Visit Indy, which is our uh, marketing arm for uh, conventions and people staying in hotels. Uh, they contributed quite a bit of the funding, as did the Department of Metropolitan Development and the city of Indianapolis. Um, and so we had a truly, uh, I think, a lot of buy-in from the start. Now, with that said, we took every opportunity we could to show it off. Because I do think that when you were in the space, especially early on, it was so much better than what people imagined. I think in the beginning, I think the perception was this is going to be picnic benches and tables and maybe a trailer kind of out here. Sure. And when you're talking about astroturf at that scale, when you're talking about trees and planters and greenery, when you're talking about the amount of amenities that we tried to pack in to that really quarter space, I would argue that so much of the positive press and the positive feedback we got was because of um, feel maybe even more than data it, it you had we the number of times i heard i'd gotten so tired of looking out my window and there being no one there and mm. now there's people there every time i look out there yeah. is i think the the perfect snapshot of of what the space meant and why we had such enthusiasm and buy-in um uh, both from the city and the state and like I said, and and then really intentionally tried to show that off uh, every chance we had. Yeah, no, I love I love that quote. I love th that that was a frequently heard message throughout because that, that that makes me very happy. In terms of how this project and and, and this sort of work that you all are largely spearheading in downtown um, go, how how is that is that align with kind of the larger goals of the city around density or housing or zoning or wherever whatever the case may be is this are you all plugging into kind of a larger initiative are you leading this kind of fight on on the placemaking side and activation side or is it more aligned with a larger a larger kind of vision for downtown indianapolis around residents and around um you know commerce and, and ec the economy and things of that nature Oh, so Brad, I probably should have said this to you. In a previous life, I worked in city government and I could spend so much time uh, offering so many thoughts and feelings around these <laughs> topics. Let me, let me attempt to narrow that down a little bit. Indianapolis is unique in the sense that it is a consolidated city county government. So the areas that were the suburbs in the 60s and 70s are now a part of consolidated city government. And that means that the suburbs themselves have pushed out even further. And especially in the last decade, uh, so many of them have sort of taken a page out of downtown's books, have invested really heavily in incredibly walkable, incredibly nice city centers with amenities and oftentimes amenities that they are uh, attracting 
from Indianapolis or they're they're saying you can open a second location. You can bring this restaurant or bar or store up here uh, and we can offer that same type of experience. At the same time, for what it's worth, uh, I think we are the largest city in the country that doesn't have some sort of uh, mechanism for sharing uh, taxes. So mm. despite our thriving regional center here, and despite the number of headquarters uh, and um, anchor institutions that we have right here in downtown Indianapolis, when that person drives to Hamilton County to go home at night, that is where the entirety of their income tax dollars go. Yeah. And there's a, and that is an example, but not the only example of a real history of tax inequity uh thinking about urban centers versus more rural centers it's interesting there's a whole conversation i could get into about indiana's road funding formula and the ways in which that actually doesn't just uh doesn't just impact indianapolis but that is even more of a urban suburban or rural divide mm. uh that manifests itself in in some complex and uh, I think infuriating ways mm. that especially as our uh, suburbs continue to age and continue to grow, we're going to feel that impact as a central Indiana region far more. Um, all of that is to say that I, I think for us, there's a couple of components to this. One is wrapping our arms around an evolving downtown that for so long when downtown was built and it was built with intentionality and it's why we are such a great host city. The walkability of our venues, the walkability of our hotels, the walkability of our amenities means that even in the coldest of months, we can be a, an incredible host city. I think we were the first uh, city to host the college football national championship above the Mason Dixon line. Like mm. it has historically been considered a warm uh, weather event. And they sort of rolled the dice, knowing the uh, credibility and history that we have hosting incredible events. And that matters. That matters for the 8,000 people who call the hospitality industry uh, their livelihood. That matters for the venues and vibrancy of our downtown. But when you think about a downtown's residential population has increased by 50% since 2010, that also means that downtown has to evolve to meet those needs too. Sure. And as you think about a workforce that doesn't look the same as it did pre-pandemic and behaviors around work and workplace that look different than they did pre-pandemic, all of those kind of evolutions need to happen in tandem. And we want to continue to give people a reason to live downtown because the more that we can stop that cycle of I'm 24 years old, I love living downtown, but now I'm moving to a different phase of my life. As I get older, I'm getting married, I'm having children. And so the suburbs are the most obvious option. Yeah. I'm a CEO and I'm being told that if, uh, that if education, that if um, safety, that if walkability and amenities are my priorities, then I should really look at one of the suburbs. The more we can do to combat those narratives, to be able to say, we have all of that in downtown and more. We have more diversity of experiences. We have more things to be able to offer. We can give you the best of that 
and more. I think the better off our downtown will be, but really the better off Marion County will be economically. Um, and so I think all of these things really work hand in hand. Uh, I think that we need to ensure both that for central Indiana visitors, for na national and sometimes even global visitors, that we understand that downtown is that front door. I would say other than the airport, there's probably not a more intersectional place mm -hmm. in Indianapolis for people to introduce themselves to the city, to understand the city, to have a taste of the city. That's what downtown is. And we need to protect that and prioritize that. But we also need to continue to ensure that those same type of amenities that attract people to want to live here are that we are thinking about them through the lens of a resident. I mean, yeah. I this is a personal anecdote, but I often say, I don't think I'd be here if I hadn't moved downtown. Hmm. I moved to Indianapolis right after I graduated college. I uh, lived out well outside of downtown uh, in an apartment complex that was cheap enough that I could afford at that moment in time and stayed there for a couple of years and then moved right downtown. And that transition to a a walkable, accessible uh, lifestyle where it felt like there was something always going on. It felt like I had friends and a network and a community that was right there at my doorstep. Changed the way I thought about downtown. It was no longer the kind of sleepy city that we would come to for back to school shopping and like once a year to go to the zoo or to watch the Nutcracker. It was a, a place that I could have, to your point, the best of uh, an arts and culture and uh, entertainment and community, uh, a quality of life, but at a, at a price point where I could actually afford to enjoy all of those things. Sure. And uh, I, I, uh, I stayed in that same apartment for almost a decade before buying a house in Holy Cross, which is one of the other cool things about our kind of downtown and adjacent neighborhoods is that we have, because it was a planned city, because you had this really intentional, uh, intentionally designed downtown area, what ended up happening was in the 1800s and early 1900s, the suburbs were the, the neighborhoods that sprung up immediately around yeah. it. I have a house that was built in the early 1900s that's literally a mile from where I sit right now. I can, I not only can I walk, my dog and I did this walk on uh, Saturday. We came down here and then walked all the way up Mass Ave to do some holiday shopping. That's a, that's a really neat thing, uh, both in terms of being able to afford the house, uh, being able to have still that kind of best of both worlds, neighborhood house, historic house dynamic, while also being able to pop down the road for groceries or coffee or any of those things. Uh, it's, it's a balance that I'm really grateful for. Yeah. And I love that. So that was exactly what I was going to get into next, which was giving your pitch for kind of um, why someone who's looking to move to a, a walkable city that they could maybe live without a car or maybe as a household, you know, downsizing to one less car than they have right now, what your pitch would be for the downtown Indianapolis area. You obviously just kind of got into it there with your great personal story that I think will do a better job at explaining that than, than anyone. But is there anything else that you would say is 
a reason, you know, obviously I'm, I, I would imagine that you look at some other, you know, similar downtown areas in a comparative way and seeing how you all are doing. Is there a reason why um, you think that folks should maybe seriously consider uh, Indianapolis as an option for that, as opposed to maybe some, some other places or just in general um, based on the great work that you all are doing? I would say a couple of things. I, uh, Christian Anderson, who is one of the founders and leaders of High Alpha uh, Tech Incubator and Company uh, here in Indianapolis, has a beautiful new space uh, in the Bottle Works development at kind of the northeast uh, end of Mass Ave. And one of the things he said to me early on in uh, my time in this role was that the nice part about where he is situated is that within a half a mile, he can give any of his employees sort of whatever lifestyle they would like to have hmm. that you have a variety of trails. I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention the cultural trail. You have a variety of trail systems right in that general vicinity. Uh, you have the cultural trail, I think being the one that's probably most iconic for people who have experienced downtown connecting our downtown and the, uh, adjacent cultural districts, but you also have the Monon, um, and you have uh, a variety of other kind of um, accessibility options. You have apartments, you have condos, you have houses, you have historic houses and brand new new builds with about as low maintenance of a footprint as you could have. Really, all within that half mile radius. And I think that that's a, that's a really compelling um, dynamic for our downtown uh, is not just that for residents, they can take advantage of the infrastructure and connectivity and uh, walkability and programming that has made us such a great kind of host city, um, convention city, sports city but also that you have the ability to have the kind of neighborhood and lifestyle dynamic uh, that really best suits you. Um, we continue to see the cultural trail expanding. Right now they are in their kind of phase two um, that will go along South Street and Indiana Avenue with plans to go uh, over the White River uh, mm -hmm. into where Alenco will have their new global headquarters, um, hopefully through the new Indy 11, uh, 11 park development. And I think really reconnecting to those West Indianapolis neighborhoods that while I think anyone would tell you the East side of Indianapolis, that near East side really feels like a, an extension of downtown for so long, the White River has really provided a barrier for those West Indianapolis neighborhoods to feel connected to downtown. The cultural trail uh, expansion is going to be able to do that. We have uh, uh, an expansion of our Pacers bike share program that's in the pipeline with 250 e-bikes that'll be introduced next year for people to be able to utilize and connect nice. to. You have White awesome. River State Park uh, that is in the process of um, expanding, and you have uh, you have a transit system that is really in a moment of transformation with uh, one. Um, rapid transit line that has come on board, uh, two more that are in the pipeline. I think the purple line is uh, currently under construction and kind of reasonably underway uh, for coming online. 
and the transit center is right downtown here in the heart uh, of our community and I think we'll only continue to provide more and better options for people uh, who choose not to uh, utilize a car, choose not to utilize a car uh, every single day. That was a fantastic pitch. I am excited to come back and visit because I haven't been in a few years, but I, I need to come back and check all this out because that, that was a that was a fantastic uh, little pitch there. And I, I think that that'll, that is the exact sort of situation that a lot of cities are trying to replicate or trying to scramble to replicate, right? I think a lot of places are at a point where they're realizing Agreed. that cities like what you all are doing are, you know, working on and pretty far ahead on. And, and, and so a lot of other places are trying to get their stuff together here and be like, how can we map to a similar sort of reality? So that's that's awesome. Um, to hear that, that that is at where it's at and with the promise that it has. The, the other thing I would be remiss if I didn't say is the, the big number we like to use is that there's $9 billion of development here in kind of the regional center mm. footprint, uh, either underway or in the pipeline. That includes a massive transformation to the IU Health Campus uh, with really holistic plans of creating a health district uh, there on the northwest quadrant or northwest corner uh, of our downtown. But I would say in ways big and small, uh, in transformations, uh, Bottle Works has probably received the most national headlines. But I love reminding people that less than 10 years ago, it was a brownfield that was that was storing buses for our public school system. That's We, we love to talk about Mass Ave and, and that is a cultural district and the the variety of businesses and galleries and uh, food and beverage options that are throughout their theaters that are throughout there. But the truth is it just kind of stopped. And we all as a community forgot about everything that happened kind of on the North end of that. And even right beyond, it was just, it was kind of this no man's land of really um, industrial areas. Mm -hmm. And I think bottle works has in many ways led that transformation, but not exclusively bottle works. Sure we're seeing redevelopment pop up um, in ways that I think are really exciting. You have a new convention center hotel that is being built uh, along Georgia Street. You have uh, the recently completed renovations to Gainbridge Fieldhouse that also came with a brand new public space. Uh, Bicentennial Unity Plaza is on the north side of that and includes uh, downtown's first skating rink in decades. Uh, it has, a, when it's not a skating rink, it's an outdoor basketball court that oh, is nice. free and open to the public. Uh, there's some incredible public art that has been installed there. Uh, you have places like the Stutz, which is a former car factory, going back to our, our roots as a sports and racing city, former car factory that has been redeveloped in incredible ways, uh, bringing new food and beverage options, but also uh, serving as home to butter for the last several years, which is uh, a, an incredible fine art fair. Uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to see it or experience that. Um, it also has been home to a variety of uh, arts and cultural entrepreneurs uh, that I think uh, are really um, helping to lead the charge in uh, continuing to transform that space. We have so many projects. Uh, we have uh, building conversions of, of office space into both hotel and residential uh, that are new and opening or new and in the process. But... Uh, there are so many areas of our downtown 
that are great now, but I think part of the excitement is getting to feel like you're a part of a community that is in a community-led transformation and that that is reclaiming areas that have been so long forgotten, that that is embracing opportunities uh, as they arise, that it is consistently thinking about how we incorporate uh, our identity and culture uh, and creatives into those conversations while at the same time, uh, I think really staying true to our, our roots as a community and and being able to be a part of all of those things going on at once um, is is probably the most exciting thing for me about living in Indianapolis. Mm, love it. And for everyone listening, we will link some maps and some references to all this stuff so that folks can actually see what we're talking about. Because I know for anyone that hasn't been to Indianapolis, it's probably been a, you know, where are all these places? I want to see what it looks like. So I'll be sure to link some, yeah. some good references so that folks can see and get, really get a feel for where all this is at and the proximity of it all and um, some of these new trail developments and things like that. The last question I have for you today is um, a question that I ask every guest on the show. It's called good traffic. A big part of what we're trying to do is this thing that's historically and presently been looked at as this awful thing. It's a unanimous political opinion that I think we all have that we hate sitting in traffic, but it doesn't have to be this ugly thing, right? Sure. I think there's a way to make traffic really beautiful and more dynamic and more, um, you know, empathetic and, 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 and a lot of these different sorts of things that we have as goals for our cities and our places. I think by turning traffic into a more beautiful thing, we can accomplish a lot of those things. So I'm curious with that in mind, out of everywhere you've lived, all the jobs you've worked, every commute that you've ever had, what has been your favorite commute that you've ever regularly uh, partaken in, we'll say? Okay, that's a great question because I, as I alluded to earlier, I just like opted out of traffic truly uh, 11 years ago and kind of have never gone back. At this point when I have to drive and I get stuck in traffic, I just find myself mystified. Like I've forgotten what it's like to have to do yep. that. I think though my answer is this. So, it, it, and it's probably a, an entirely different angle than you're talking about, but uh, I grew up in Terre Haute, which is about an hour and a half uh, southwest of Indianapolis. As I said, did not plan on being here this long. It felt like it was entirely <laughs> too close to home uh, for that dynamic. But once a year, uh, as as is my tradition, I will drive on Rockville Road. Uh, so not not an interstate, not a highway, but really through. Uh, central and southern indiana to park county which is the has the largest number of covered bridges anywhere in the country and mm. is a, an absolute wonderful excuse to people watch uh to buy knickknacks and things that you didn't need and to eat all of the best seasonal fall fried foods that you could mm. possibly imagine and I, th that is probably the one time that I am absolutely giddy to just be sitting in traffic because huh. you do, you get, you get like three quarters of the way to Rockville and you're just sitting, like you are waiting your turn to, to experience the, the Park County Covered Bridge Festival. And it is, it's both so much a part of, I think, my upbringing and also uh, a, a thing that I really love about, uh, about my kind of community uh, that I grew up in. Um, 
and is maybe the only time that I am not full-blown cussing when I am in traffic. That's great. I love the duality of that answer, right? Of like the downtown, I forgot what traffic <laughs> is. Like I love that. And then I love the rural driving thing because I think mm-hmm. it's important to distinguish mm-hmm. those two, right? Like cars aren't always bad. They're just not always great in cities. Like yeah. that's a very big distinguishment. So I actually love, right. love that you use both of those as examples right. for yourself. So, well, Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been an awesome conversation. I love learning about really like my, you know, the minutia of specific places and really getting deep into the weeds on them and specifically places that I'm not in regularly because there's a lot of really neat pockets sure. of this country. And I think it's great that we start to look at what those places are doing and, and on a national scale. So I, I really appreciate your time and for going into such depth with me and with us today on Indianapolis. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.